This is Laura Lummer, the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach. I'm a healthy lifestyle coach, a clinical Ayurveda specialist, a personal trainer, and I'm also a breast cancer survivor. In this podcast, we talk about healthy thinking and mindfulness practices, eating well, moving your body for health and longevity, and we'll also hear from other breast cancer survivors who have re-engaged with life and have incredible stories to share. This podcast is your go-to resource for getting back to life after breast cancer. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach Podcast. I am your host, Laura Lummer, and I know I say this all the time, I'm super excited about the show today, but I am so excited about today's show because it is a fascinating topic, but more than that, our guest today, Dr. Stephanie Green, is an absolutely amazing physician, human being, so wonderful to talk to. I could literally listen to her for hours. Dr. Green is a general family practitioner. She is a partner in the private practice here in Long Beach in Southern California. And I think she is the kind of doctor that you want every doctor to be because she not only really wants to understand what's happening with you, but she wants to make you better. And she wants to understand the problem. And she wants to see you happy and healthy and well with as little medication and as few side effects as possible. And she really takes the time to go into not just understanding what's going on with the person, but explaining in terminology that non-medical professionals can understand on what is happening in a body when there's a problem, which makes her even more fascinating to listen to. So when we decided to do this podcast, and you're going to hear all about why we decided to do it, because we are talking about sleep and sleep disturbances the importance of sleep, the fact that sleep is a, a important pillar of health. But as we got into this topic, into this subject, and I started to hear stories of her patients and her experiences and the science behind all of the ways in which sleep, or I should say not getting the right kind of sleep, impacts our health, I was blown away. And we ended up talking for so long that this is going to be two podcasts. So what you're going to hear today is part one. And in part one, we're going to talk about all of the ways in which sleep is a pillar of health, how it impacts our lives. And if we have a sleep disturbance, like a sleep apnea or UARS or and various types of sleep apnea, how they can have a severe and serious impact on our health. And then in next week's show, we're going to hear even more detail about sleep hygiene and sleep habits. And if you think, if any of this resonates with you that you'll hear Dr. Green talk about in today's show, and you want to follow up on getting a sleep study or finding out how to do a sleep study, next week is going to have all that information 
and she goes into great detail on what your options are and what insurance covers and pricing and even resources for providers and support for your own physician. So I love, love, love this show, this one and next week. Super excited about it. I think it's fascinating stuff. So we're going to get right into it in one minute here because before we do, I just want to give a listener shout out to Heidi and I think it's Heidi ESL or Heidi SL. I really wish that you could put your first name on these iTunes reviews. But Heidi left a review for the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach podcast. And I so appreciate it. She said, life after cancer is hard. This podcast will help you navigate with grace and so much more. I highly recommend you listen to all of it. And I just want to share with you that I had some really exciting news. My goal for this podcast is that it gets into Apple Top 100 charts and stays there, that it's consistently in the top 100 because that will just allow so many more survivors to have access to this information. And because you are listening and because you're so supportive and because you guys take the time to leave these reviews and ratings for the podcast, We have actually hit the top 100 spots three times already in 2020. And I'm super excited and so grateful for all of the support that you have given to this podcast. So I'm going to give you a big virtual hug and I give really hard hugs. So know that it's a good hug. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate your ongoing support for the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach podcast. And we just have even better things to come. So something I want you to know about this before we get into listening to the show, in order to break it into the two episodes so you didn't have to listen for like two hours straight, it's got a little bit of an abrupt ending. There was kind of no good place to end it. So when it gets to the end, just know it's going to be kind of abrupt. But of course, I'll pop back in and let you know that it's over. Anyway, enjoy the show. Take notes on this information. This is some good, good stuff. And come on over to the Facebook page of the Breast Cancer Recovery Group on Facebook or find me, Laura Lummer, on my Facebook page and let me know your thoughts on the podcast. I would love to hear what you think of this information. So without making you wait any longer, here is Dr. Green. Dr. Green, welcome to the Breast Cancer Recovery Coach Podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I wanna go right into talking about how you became aware of the impact that having good sleep patterns, good sleep hygiene has on our health overall? Well, my father, who is a retired physician, um, was obese and went to have surgery for gastric bypass. And his surgeon wanted him to have a sleep study before they would put him to sleep for the surgery. He said that he felt sure that he did not have sleep apnea and therefore did not need to do a sleep study and he's a doctor and trust me I know and (laughs) you know he felt very certain that he didn't have it he definitely snored but he thought since his snoring was a regular rhythm without uh, gasping and you know that he could fall asleep anytime anywhere anytime (laughs) he thought he was certain that he did not have sleep apnea so he didn't want to do it 
The doctor said, I won't operate on you unless you do a sleep study. So he forced him to go do one. And he's one of the worst cases I've ever seen. He's got severe obstructive sleep apnea, wow. holding his breath like 60 times an hour with his oxygen dropping into the 50% range. So that's like every minute. Yeah. Every minute. More than he that, actually. It might have been 70, some 75 times an hour. Yeah. More than once a minute. Wow. Holding his breath for longer than 10 seconds. So that's the apnea. It's longer than 10 seconds. Yeah. Definition of apnea is no airflow for 10 seconds or longer. Wow. So so when he did this, did, is that what led you to think like, oh, wait, do more people have sleep apnea and don't realize it? Or how did you know of all the areas that it impacts So I had heard of sleep apnea in medical school when I trained, but... Since he was so severe and he was my father, it got me more interested into learning more about it. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy cow, how could he be so severe and not realize it? Mm -hmm. And he's a physician. Mm -hmm. Like, you think he would be educated in recognizing the signs of it, right? Right, right. Yeah, so that kind of made me go, wow, how many of us also have it and don't know. Mm -hmm. So I actually went and spoke to his sleep doctor who did his sleep study and he came to my office and did a lecture for my partner and I, which was really cool. And then 10 years later, I'm still into it and learning more. And now we have home sleep studies, which is sort of the new evolution of sleep studies. Not as good as an in-lab study, but much cheaper, much more convenient, done in the comfort of your own bed. So much more people are willing to do it. Uh Single people with small children who can't leave for the night Uh can now do it Uh because they can do it in their bed. I'm now involved with a sleep doctor who reads those home sleep studies. And when I got him on the phone, we talked for a couple hours one Uh Friday evening. And Uh I'm like, I could talk to you forever. Uh It's so interesting. So it's such amazing what you learn from how sleep can affect your health. So he came to my office as well and did a lecture for my partner and I. So we had like a recent sort of update on, you know, another person's perspective and, you know, not enough studies have been done. So we're still learning so much about it, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of how I got more into it. And my husband, who's also a physician feels like I'm so interested by it. Why don't I just become a sleep specialist? But I feel like as a family doctor, Mm -hmm. I'm, exposed to everybody yeah everyone has a family doctor how many people go to a sleep doctor only That's if you're true. really severe can't figure it out you go to a sleep doctor That's I true. don't want to be that I want to I want to treat everybody and I mm-hmm. want to be able to you know talk to everybody yeah you have a bigger impact yeah so let's give some foundation there's sleep apnea and then if people think well I don't have sleep apnea like your dad said I don't Mm -hmm. gasp I don't Mm -hmm. do this but there's also a lesser version that's not really sleep apnea but it's still disrupted breathing right right yeah let's talk about those so that's called so obstructive sleep apnea the definition is you're holding your breath for 10 seconds or longer no airflow at all and insurance is as far as insurance paying for treatment of it they're only interested in how many times an hour do you have apnea and a large drop in your oxygen okay so it has to be five times an hour or more that's called your apnea hypopnea index your ahi and it has to be five an hour or greater for insurance to pay for either a cpap machine or a mouth guard or some sort of treatment Um, however what i learned when this when the uh, home sleep studies came out what i learned from that doctor is that you can have an apnea and hold your breath 
and not drop your oxygen because okay. it, it can be a long time before your oxygen drops. Okay. So maybe you're in good shape or you took a deep breath right before it happened and so you can go 20 seconds before your oxygen drops. So if you hold your breath 10 seconds, you don't get a drop in oxygen and then you breathe again. Okay. So insurance looks at that and says you don't have apnea, we're not treating you. Mm. However, that apnea event, even without the big drop in oxygen, causes a stress response. Like if you're hiking in the woods and you saw a bear, mm -hmm. your body would tense up and get ready to run. Mm -hmm. You'd send more blood flow to your muscles and be like, let's get out of here. Right, right. So that is, uh, you, you put out more stress hormones, more steroids, it's a stress response. Okay. So apnea, with or without an oxygen drop, causes a stress response in our body. Mm. So even the apneas without oxygen drops matter. To our body so that's something new that I learned with these home studies and talking to that second doctor the other version that you're talking about is UARS upper airway resistance syndrome mm -hmm. um, that is resistance in your airway so a partial collapse of your airway a partial blockage of airflow but not complete so you still have airflow mm -hmm. so insurance doesn't treat that at all mm -hmm. they don't actually pay for any mouth guard which can be expensive you know or sleep apnea a CPAP machine or anything mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. so those often go undetected and untreated mm -hmm. if I did a sleep study on somebody a, a slim woman with a narrow airway that has upper airway resistance syndrome if I did a sleep study on her and the apnea index comes back less than five an hour mm -hmm. insurance says you don't have apnea so I would tell her oh you don't have it goodbye mm -hmm. and that lady is going untreated and, and it's a real disservice. One more thing about the UARS, the Upper Airway Resistance Syndrome. Um, we talked about that's a partial blockage of your airway due to relaxation, partial collapse of the tissues in the throat. Um, the way the, the sleep doctor that reads my sleep studies and when he came into the lecture, the way he described that to me was, picture a six lane freeway with four lanes blocked and everyone has to drive through those last two lanes. You're gonna have traffic for miles. Mm -hmm. It's it's not adequate. Mm -hmm. So same thing with UARS. It's a it's a partial blockage of our airway, but there is airflow, so it's not apnea, but it's not adequate airflow to do oxygen exchange and all the things that we need. Mm. So um, people with upper airway resistance syndrome exhibit an alpha delta sleep. This means they're very easily aroused from a deep sleep to a shallow sleep. Okay. Um, receptors in the throat become much more sensitive to negative pressures. The autonomic system, um, which is the nervous system can be actually underactivated, which leads to a low blood pressure, and that low blood pressure can even lead to daytime syncope, which is passing out. Mm. So people that have really low blood pressure and pass out might think, I don't have sleep apnea. That's heavy people with high blood pressure. Yeah. So in this way, it can cause low blood pressure. Mm. So that you know, slim woman with low blood pressure, you think she doesn't look like health problems. Right, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what could happen? Why would insurance want to treat it? Like how can it impact our health? So I'm learning and I'm learning partly from reading more about it, partly from the lectures with the sleep doctors and partly from my patients that I am now doing lots of home sleep studies on and treating and I'm seeing their blood pressures come down, their anxiety and depression improve, their insomnia, asthma, allergies, Literally every medical condition I can think of, mm -hmm. I'm seeing it improve by treating people sleep. And I have taken more people off meds than I feel like I've started new meds in the last couple years. There's a doctor, I'm not gonna say this right, but Dr. Deepak Shivrastava, 
at UC Davis School of Medicine. He, his studies showed that intermittent hypoxia, which is like sleep apnea, selectively activates inflammatory pathways, decreases the number of lymphocytes, which reduces the effectiveness of the immune system, and sleep deprivation also is linked to decreased production of T cells and interleukin-12, which is also a weakening of the immune system. And they showed an increased level of B cells, which increases allergies and asthma. Wow. So I was really surprised to see treating sleep apnea treat asthma and allergies. Yeah. I just didn't see that connection no. at first. I couldn't get it. Right. Because I'm thinking physically, holding your breath. So why would that cause asthma and right. allergies in your nose? Right. You know? Yeah. And this is the mechanism. And I've also had patients that I treated their sleep apnea. I, I wasn't thinking about their allergies, but they said, you know, I don't need Singular anymore and I'm not using Flonase every day like I used to. I don't use anything anymore and I breathe great. That I mean, is amazing. Yeah, it's so incredible. It gives me goosebumps because I just feel like how much medicine that we're doing is really because we're treating something caused by sleep where mm -hmm. we could fix sleep and not have the medical problem. Mm -hmm. And we're just throwing medication at the medical problem, mm -hmm. like high blood pressure. Right. So I had a patient who I've been seeing since she was in her early 20s and she got high blood pressure. Everybody in her family has high blood pressure mm -hmm. and that can be something that runs in families and of course there's things you can do about it like exercise and you know less sodium and caffeine so there are definitely lifestyle things to do about it right but sometimes when it's in your family no matter what you do you're gonna get it okay and so she looked like one of those cases you know okay. everyone in her family had it so she was on blood pressure meds she ended up needing two blood pressure meds at maximum dose before she was controlled and she stayed on those for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I took her through a pregnancy. We switched to the pregnancy safe blood pressure meds and then back to her other meds after the pregnancy. And, you know, so she's been nice and stable for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But when the home sleep studies came out and I learned about them and how easy they are and affordable, I told her, why don't you just do this to see, make sure you don't have sleep apnea. Yeah. Well, she did have sleep apnea. So we got her a CPAP machine. Uh -huh. And I have to say I'm proud of her because she's got a new baby. Uh -huh. And you know that... You're busy. Exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Oh my so God. to put yeah. a machine on every night yeah. and be faithful about it, yeah. you know, with a new baby and a job and all those things, she did. Her blood pressure dropped and dropped and dropped. She was getting lightheaded and dizzy because she was too low. I had to lower her meds, lower her meds. Wow. She ended up off medication wow. with a blood pressure of 100 over 60. So normal's 120 over 80 or less. Her natural blood pressure was 100 over 60. Wow. So it gives me goosebumps even now because yeah. I've been treating her personally for 10 years with yeah. blood pressure meds. She doesn't need them anymore. She just needed to sleep. To sleep. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? So wow. my question is, does everybody in her family truly have high blood pressure or do they have untreated apnea? Do they have, yeah. Causing blood apnea. pressure. Yeah. And so I think when we talk about sleep apnea specifically, mm -hmm. I know for me, I always thought, that's my dad. That's a big fat old man. Right. Right. And that's not true at all. Right. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. So who is actually getting susceptible yeah. to sleep disorders like this? So back in the seventies and earlier, we did definitely think it was heavy people with big, heavy necks. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, obese people and men more often than women. Mm -hmm. And, and then you'd see those big football players. So it doesn't have to be just 
fat. It can just be big. So it's simply the weight of your neck. Okay. So you lay back and the weight of your neck collapses your airway. That's what we thought. Okay. And so we focused much more on men and mm -hmm. much more on really heavy people. Mm -hmm. um, what we're learning now with this upper airway resistance is that your airway can be narrow all the way down, mm -hmm. not just the back of your throat and your tongue, okay. but all the way down to your lungs. Your whole airway can be narrow. Okay. And you actually see that more in slim people, men and women, but mm -hmm. you know, equally. So in slim, uh, slim people with a narrow face, a narrow, high arched palate, mm -hmm. um, and just a narrow airway. Mm -hmm. So you definitely see it in that, regardless of the size of your neck. Mm -hmm. People with large tonsils causing less room in the back. Mm -hmm. And actually they're uh, saying now that getting your wisdom teeth out causes some resorption of the bone. And so rather than having a larger bony structure keeping your airway open, it might possibly lead to a smaller airway and more apnea. Mm -hmm. So all these things are contributing to it now, which has nothing to do with being obese. Right, right. And um, I had a patient who was in her early 60s. She had no complaints at all. She said, I wake up wide awake. I feel great all day. I don't nap. I have energy. I exercise. I'm happy. I'm not depressed. She had zero complaints. Okay. She only came to me for an annual physical. She was establishing with a new doctor. Uh -huh. When I examined her, I couldn't even see the back of her airway. Oh. So when you stick your tongue out and say, ah, and open your mouth wide, yeah. I should see the back wall of your airway, you know, oh. the back beyond your tongue, your uvula hanging down, you know, the sides, everything. Uh -huh. All I could see was her tongue. As wide as she opened her mouth, I couldn't see the back of her airway. And I said, you have an incredibly small airway. Uh -huh. Would you mind doing a sleep study on me? I mean, on yourself for me. Uh -huh. Like, I, I just want to see. Yeah. I know you have no symptoms, but I can't believe it right. with that airway that you could be breathing normally at night, that yeah. that wouldn't just easily collapse. She did a sleep study and is also one of my worst patients. You're kidding. Her oxygen was in the 60s. She held her breath over 60 times an hour. She had no idea and she had no symptoms. So then I asked myself, are we doing her a favor by treating her? Because mm -hmm. I got her a CPAP machine and she now uses it. And so now she is not having this chronic low oxygen hypoxia all mm -hmm. night long. What is the oxygen level that would be acceptable? So we should always be 100. Mm -hmm. You should always be 100%. But when we sleep and we're more relaxed, we're not breathing as deep or as rapid, it can drop to 95. Mm -hmm. You know, around there, we mm -hmm. still consider 100% normal. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't even uh, worry about anything like that. So below that, it's starting to be abnormal. Definitely mm -hmm. into your 80s is abnormal and for sure 70s, 60s. Yeah. So... I felt guilty after getting her the CPAP machine that I just took this woman with no complaints mm -hmm. and put her on a machine for the rest of her life. Right, right. Machine. You know, I'm like, am I doing the right thing? I mean, you got to always question, why are we doing what we're doing? Is it really making a difference? Are we right? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I had a conversation with a sleep doctor about her and he said, as low as her oxygen was going all night long, repetitively, so many times at night, she was absolutely headed for increased risk of heart attack and stroke in her sleep mm -hmm. who knows what else you know all the other in her sleep in her because sleep because of that oxygen deprivation right mm -hmm. while she's sleeping okay mm -hmm. so he said at the very least you know treating her has lengthened her life by you know decreasing her chance of heart attack and stroke yeah, yeah. So yeah. I love that you're talking about this oxygen deprivation. Mm -hmm. And you and I had a conversation about how does a sleep disorder affect 
someone's risk of breast cancer mm -hmm. or breast cancer recurrence. And it was fascinating because you were talking about how what happens with our blood vessels mm -hmm. and what happens with this, is it is it a hormone that we're the endothelial? Growth factor. The growth mm -hmm. factor mm -hmm. is a hormone. What's okay. that whole cycle if you have some kind of a sleep disorder? We yeah. may not even realize it. Right. May not even know that you snore. Do you have to snore? If you you have don't have to you at don't all. And a lot snore. of people think, I don't snore, so I don't have it. Mm. And it's it's very, very much people think that they know they don't have it because they don't feel symptoms. Mm -hmm. And look at that one lady that I just told you about. I mean, mm -hmm. she had no clue. So it's not that. And there are different types of apnea. So there's sleep apnea. There's obstructive sleep apnea where your airway is literally obstructed. Mm -hmm. So your airway collapses, your tongue falls back, or you are heavy and the mm -hmm. weight of your neck collapses your airway. So that's one type, obstructive. There's central sleep apnea where it comes from your brain. So if your brain doesn't send the message to breathe, then you can just hold your breath. And a lot of people find themselves doing that during the day too. People will tell me all the time, I'm at work and I just realize I'm not breathing, breathe. And I just wow. tell myself, take your breath. It's happened to me as well, I've felt it before. Really? Um, yeah, you start to get a feeling like in your chest, like you're holding your breath mm -hmm. and you realize you are. And oh, you go, wow. just breathe. And so that happens in your sleep too. And that's central sleep apnea. And okay. it's believed that more stress causes more of that. Okay. You know? Mm -hmm. So there are different types of apnea and there's other types too. But okay. your blood flows past your lungs and your red blood cells pick up oxygen from your lungs, from your breathing, obviously, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and deliver it everywhere in your body, mm -hmm. everywhere. They deliver it to your lungs, to your heart, to your eyeballs, to your big toe, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So think of them as a, like a little car that drives past the lungs and picks up oxygen and then delivers it. Mm -hmm. So if your oxygen is low for whatever reason, your body will respond by saying, we need more blood to be flowing by the lungs to get more of this oxygen that I'm now in short supply of. Okay. And so you, your body puts out something called endothelial growth factor. The endothelial growth factor causes your body to make more blood vessels. And that means more blood flowing past your lungs and that should mean more oxygen. That's your body's response. On another note, um, cancer is an abnormal, it's an abnormal, we're, we're constantly replicating our DNA and, and making new cells and stuff like that. So it's that process gone awry, mm -hmm. and then that leads to an abnormal cell, which is a cancerous cell, and it goes from there. Mm -hmm. But our body is constantly uh, repairing. So if, if something in the DNA replication goes wrong, we have a natural system to repair it, mm -hmm. and that is supposedly happening in our body every day. Mm -hmm. um, but if, if something got out of control and we weren't able to fix it and a little cancer is trying to start, it needs blood flow. Cancers are rapidly growing most of the time. They they demand blood flow. So when we're doing ultrasounds on tumors or masses to see if we think they look cancerous or not, one thing we're always looking for is, is there a large feeding vessel? Mm -hmm. um, and that would be a bad sign yeah, because yeah. cancers demand that. So with more endothelial growth factor flowing around in your body, it's easier for a cancer to take hold and to grow and to make it and to recur. And to get its own blood flow going. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And so that's how repetitive low oxygen all night long from sleep apnea can lead to increased endothelial growth factor in your system, mm -hmm. which can help a cancer start. So they are seeing more breast cancer in women with sleep apnea untreated than in women without. That's so interesting. And you were saying there's a second aspect to that as well. One is the endothelial growth factor, mm -hmm. and another is with that low oxygen level, then your body tends to bring 
the oxygen out of the peripheral areas, right? Away right. from... So at the moment that your oxygen is low, at that moment, your body is going to go into preservation mode by sending more blood flow to your vital organs, your heart, your brain, your lungs. And so it gets pulled away from the periphery, your arms, your legs, which includes your breast. Mm -hmm. So decreased blood flow, which is obviously not good for any tissue. Yeah, you know? right. So that happens as well. Mm -hmm. There's a study that I read called Fragmented Sleep Accelerates Cancer Growth that talked about studies showing that women who sleep less than six hours a night are more likely to develop breast cancer. Mm. We know that sleep disruption negatively affects the immune system, and this can also open up the door to cancers taking hold. Okay. And you know, being sense. able to get past our block, right. our you know, repair system. Yeah. Disrupt, both disrupted sleep and obesity are risk factors for breast cancer. So obesity can cause sleep apnea, sleep apnea actually can cause obesity, mm -hmm. and they're both risk factors for breast cancer. And I think we know too that with obesity, it increases your risk for breast cancer, but it also is a indicator of poor outcomes as far as mortality. If right. you have breast cancer and you're obese, right? Yes, yeah. fat can store estrogen, mm -hmm. and so you can have higher estrogen levels in women with obesity that some breast cancers are fed by hormones and some are not. Mm -hmm. So if you have the type that is hormone receptor positive and you are obese, you're, that puts you at a little higher risk yeah. as well. In a study called Sleep Disruption Predicting Survival of Women with Advanced Breast Cancer, showed that women with breast cancer who have fragmented sleep have higher mortality rates than breast cancer patients who sleep well. Mm -hmm. And we just, we don't talk about that. I think people mm -hmm. don't value their sleep. If we can sacrifice anything, what we give up is sleep. And it's such an essential pillar of health, just like nutrition and exercise. Just recently read about the most important factors for a healthy life is nutrition, exercise, and good sleep. Those are the three pillars of health. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I just said that. Yeah. Going back to that endothelial growth factor and being able to more easily get blood supply. Yeah. Um, it's a critical factor in the growth and metastatic spread of malignant tumors. So having more endothelial growth factor is a very important factor to a cancer being able to metastasize. Mm. Which totally makes sense. Yeah, that makes totally sense. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the fears we have after completing cancer treatment. Did they get every cell? So keeping Getting good sleep, keeping the oxygen level up right. is something that's fundamental to supporting that, lowering Absolutely. the risk of recurrence. To that one cell staying dormant yeah. or dying versus yeah. growing and taking off and becoming a metastatic. So fascinating. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the things that really, well, first of all, we were talking a little bit before this about circadian rhythms. And some people know and have heard that terminology, but I think a lot haven't. And with my background in Ayurveda, mm -hmm. being a natural health science, it's very tied to the circadian rhythm. It's mm -hmm. tied to seasons and, mm -hmm. and the foods that you eat in certain seasons mm -hmm. and your habits throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Not just what you eat, but when you eat it and when you sleep and all of these things. So let's talk about what is a circadian rhythm and what does that have to do with good sleep hygiene, good sleep habits. So circadian rhythm is your sleep-wake cycle. Um, we have a pineal gland that actually senses light. It's located near the top of your head. When it senses light, it changes your hormones and your steroids to get you to wake up and more blood flow to your brain and things like that. And then when it senses darkness, it calms you down, slows you down, changes your natural body makeup to go sleep. Mm -hmm. And before we had artificial light, 
when the sun came up, we got up. And when it went down, we went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And that was a natural circadian rhythm. Your body knows what's coming. It knows how soon you're going to be going to bed. Mm -hmm. And it prepares you accordingly. And now with our natural lights, uh, we change that. And, and also without getting natural sunlight, you know, somebody might wake up and go right out to their car, go right to their office. They're indoors with artificial light all day long. And by the time they get out at five or six at night, it's already dark uh-huh. and they come home. You're living and, the vampire lifestyle. Yeah, you literally never see the light it. of day. So that just confuses your body. You don't have a circadian rhythm. How does it know when to put out the steroids and the hormones to make you awake and to make you tired, Mm -hmm. it's all messed up. Mm -hmm. So having a regular sleep pattern as much as you can, obviously the week usually varies from the weekend or whatever your days off are, Mm -hmm. but having a regular sleep-wake cycle, whatever it is, having it on a regular pattern Mm -hmm. helps your body so much and increases your health and improves your sleep. Mm -hmm. And they have shown that people with graveyard shifts definitely have a shorter lifespan, worse health, and just health issues in general. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. I write a lot of sleep meds for people that just need help with that. Really? And they go, I just need, you know, either a sleeping pill or they use caffeine to wake up when they need to wake up because they're going Mm -hmm. back and forth from work to trying to have a normal life on those few days off. Wow. And they're just, they never get a good sleep pattern. Yeah. So is that how that works? It's it's so common. If Mm -hmm. you don't sleep, a sleeping pill sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. Just get me to sleep, please. You know? Mm -hmm. But if you think about apnea and the response your body has to it it makes you grind your teeth to move your tongue out of the way it makes you roll under your stomach to breathe better you're you know you're doing all these things to make yourself breathe Mm -hmm. you know gasping some people you know all the different mechanisms that your body is doing to breathe because the oxygen dropped Mm -hmm. or your blood pressure and your pulse went up Um, if you have a sleep aid on board you're not going to listen to those warning signs Mm -hmm. those you know from your body to breathe Mm -hmm. so you therefore can just lay there holding your breath even longer your oxygen can drop even more and all the cardiovascular bad it's much worse Mm. so my patients that are diagnosed with sleep apnea that have CPAP machines or mouth guards you know we're human and there's going to be nights that we just fall asleep watching tv and we didn't put our machine on or we just don't feel like it tonight or we went on a trip without it there's different reasons that people sleep without their machine mm-hmm. and i tell them you cannot take your sleeping pill on nights that you don't use your machine mm-hmm. as long as you have your machine on and you know that you're breathing well all night absolutely you can take a sleeping pill if you need it you know um but it's just too dangerous to take sleep aids even over the counter benadryl advil pm tylenol pm you don't want to take them if you don't know why you're not sleeping yet yeah you know because you could be increasing your chance for heart attack and stroke during your sleep and you know most of us have heard stories of people that died in their sleep. Yeah, and of course. You never know why. And we're like, what a blessing. They yeah, died in their sleep. Right, right. <laughs> so that's it's the way everybody should go. I no sleep apnea. So when we breathe, our diaphragm pulls down, which creates a negative pressure in our chest. And that sucks air in. And the pressure should get to like negative five and air just comes in. Then we're doing that all day long. We're doing mm-hmm. it right now. Mm-hmm. When you're sleeping and you have an airway collapse, your diaphragm's pulling down, trying to pull air in. But it can't because 
there's no air, there's no open airway up there so it the diaphragm pulls down harder and harder and harder until it gets air in mm-hmm. i mean that's our body's response to not breathing mm-hmm. that increased pressure the pressures in your lung can get up to negative 80 and that increased pressure squeezes your heart raises your pulse wow. raises your blood pressure and eventually oxygen drops and finally it's enough to move your tongue or open your airway and get air in wow and all that is happening naturally and if you have a sleep aid on board you're ignoring all those signs and symptoms and you know yeah yeah so let's talk about we're talking about having a heart attack so that's you know an acute thing in a moment where you're having low levels of oxygen and this pressure is happening in your lungs but over time if you were having this unhealthy sleep pattern or unhealthy sleep hygiene and consistent low levels of oxygen, that's got to impact our heart health. Absolutely. Your body, when you have sleep apnea, your body is having a stress response that we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier. Um, Your adrenaline levels increase, your blood pressure and heart rate changes. And I've seen it because I'm looking at all these sleep studies and it tells me what the average pulse was most of the night and then what it was during their apneas. And I've had people that went from 50 beats per minute, which is low. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like a, we think of it as like a healthy athlete type of blood, you know, pulse over 200. Whoa. And a lot of times the home sleep study shows a possible cardiac dysrhythmia and I have to do a referral to the cardiologist. Oh, wow. And it's great. And they had no idea. And so your pulse can just race when you're having apnea. So, um, so eventually your oxygen drops, your carbon dioxide levels can increase. This is causes of fight or flight stress hormone response. Your adrenaline, your cortisol spikes. That's what we talked about. Like hiking and seeing a bear Mm -hmm. in the woods. You're going to have that same response. These are all linked with cardiovascular risks and it's been shown that obstructive sleep apnea increases the risk of heart failure by 140% the risk of stroke by 60% and the risk of coronary heart disease by 30% Wow and those have been shown in studies another thing is weight reduced amounts of sleep cause a decreased level of a hormone called leptin this is a hormone that signals us that we're full Um, It also causes an increased level of a hormone called ghrelin, G-R-E-H-L-I-N, which is another hormone that stimulates appetite. So it puts them in an opposite, you know, Mm -hmm. how how they should be. Mm -hmm. And so typically when we have our last meal of the day, it's evening, we're following our circadian rhythms, our body knows we're going to sleep in a few hours, we have that last meal, we should feel full and satisfied and not feel like eating all night long. But these opposite levels of leptin and ghrelin from what they should be stimulating, you know, our appetite to be gone, mm-hmm. it's the opposite. So we, we specifically crave fats and sugars in the evening. Wow. When we should be feeling naturally full and naturally not wanting anything else. And it's the opposite. Because the so, natural cycle of mm-hmm. those hormones would make you not crave those things right. at night. Right. But because we're not sleeping right, right. we're reversing that effect. Mm-hmm. We have decreased leptin and increased ghrelin. you don't know anybody who goes home and snacks all night long, do you? Oh, uh, yeah. Ever heard Never that heard before? That. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> so it causes us to crave foods, especially junk food and sugary food, which of course leads to weight gain and worsening sleep. Um, one study showed that 82% of diabetics have obstructive sleep apnea. Wow. That and was, it doesn't, doesn't cause us to crave tuna. Right. <laughs> Why is right, that? Right. Why don't we crave yeah. lean proteins? Exactly. Broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> Broccoli. Um, that study was the wow. Sleep and Wellness Medical Associates, LLC, the Academy of Sleep Medicine. So they've so, proven that it specifically causes you to crave those types of foods. macronutrients yeah. and those foods. Isn't that crazy? 
That is crazy. But if you're not sleeping well, you should ask why. Yeah. And you should figure it out. Yeah. And I think what we tend to do is blame ourselves. I'm just stressed. I'm just a anxious person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we always turn it back on ourselves or we make excuses. Mm-hmm. Like I always blamed it on, well, I had four kids, yeah. which was my choice sure. and I love it, yeah. but I'm not going to ever sleep well yeah. or, you know. I'll that, sleep when they're that, all 18. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, <laughs> studies are also show that about 25%, they think about 25% of kids diagnosed with ADD are really untreated sleep apnea. Really? And they're just tired. They are tired. They're not going to tell you that. They don't realize it. Right. But they're not functioning in school. They're hyper. They're bouncing off the walls. They're or or without hyperactivity, just ADD. They can't focus. Yeah. There is a magnetic therapy that treats uh, PTSD and autism, and just recently, in the last several weeks, has become approved for the treatment of ADD. And the way it works is by fixing sleep pattern. So it helps people be really awake when they're awake and really asleep when they're asleep, sleep well and have this good pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because it's it's proven and FDA approved and used and insurance pays for it. All it's doing is fixing their sleep. And, and yet it's that's treating- correcting autism, mm-hmm. PTSD, by giving them better sleep habits. Yeah. That's so and fascinating. Now Where can I get it? I know, right? <laughs> so- Which, I mean, you know this and I know this, that I'll be trying to work and if I haven't had good sleep, I, I'll catch myself going, I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we label them as ADD. Yeah. Put them on ADD yeah. meds and really... Or at my them. age, we just label them as like early onset dementia. <laughs> <laughs> Senior moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so interesting. And I, I, you know, the doctor who reads my my home sleep studies that came into the lecture said that... He put up a, he did a slideshow for us and he put up a graph showing how sleep affects every disease basically known to man. Really? And so one thing he talked about was asthma and allergies and that there's increased uh, inflammation Mm -hmm. everywhere. So Mm -hmm. nose, sinuses, lungs. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. But I saw it in action when one of my patients that... I wasn't treating her sleep because she had asthma. I was just treating it because she had symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so we did a sleep study and she had it and she got on a CPAP machine. She stopped all her asthma meds. You're Last kidding. time I saw her, she said, I haven't taken anything. And she was on high dose steroids every day. Whoa. Inhaled steroids, not oral, right. but yeah, high dose inhaled steroids. And the medications that open your lungs, which have side effects. They cause heart palpitations. And, you know, it's not something you want to be on if you don't need it. She hadn't taken any of her meds and she hadn't needed to rescue at all. And we did a pulmonary function study on her in my office and it looked great. And she was off meds. And I, that was the first time I saw it myself in person in action. I was like, wow, treating your sleep apnea just treated your asthma. Unbelievable. That is fascinating. And I've read other studies you had mentioned earlier that you see it treating anxiety and depression as well. And I had read some studies recently that were saying that they think a, a large portion of people diagnosed with depression are untreated sleep apnea yes. cases, like you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. You're so tired. How can you deal with life? Yeah. You know, yeah. and you just get depressed. I've taken a lot of people off anxiety meds, off depression meds. And what's interesting is it seems to hit around two and a half, three months after starting treatment. The sleep doctor that came into the lecture for me was explaining if you have a patient who's hungry and you give them a sandwich, they're full and they're happy. If you have a patient who's emaciated, starving, skin and bones, and you give them one sandwich, 
it doesn't do much. Mm -hmm. They need a sandwich every day, mm -hmm. a couple times a day for months before they have some meat on their bones again, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he said it's the same thing with, with apnea treatment. When you first start using a CPAP machine, you feel a little better because you're not going to be waking up as much at night or getting up to pee. So yeah, you feel a little bit better. It's, it's a couple months of taking away that lack of oxygen that you've had for years. So fixing that and staying oxygenated, you just improve and improve and improve with time. And he said it's around two and a half, three months where you you really have another, oh my gosh, I really am a different person. That's fascinating. And, and I've seen it in action. So I yeah. had a patient with severe anxiety and depression on two medications, maxed out. Um, and she, I saw her after about a month of CPAP usage and she said, I do feel better. Like I'm waking up easier without headaches, more, I feel a little more mentally clear. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not like, what was that word? Mm -hmm. You know, feeling foggy all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but she still wanted her meds. She was like, don't change my meds. I'm like, okay, okay, no problem. You mm -hmm. know? Right. And then I saw her about two and a half, three months after using her CPAP and she said, I feel so amazing, Dr. Green. I do not need these medications. I have never been happier. And I said, okay, well, let's go slow. Yeah. So we just took one of them and we cut it in half. Mm -hmm. I saw her back. We cut the other one in half. Saw her back, took one away. Saw her back, took the other one away. She was on no medications and feeling amazing amazing, and happier than she'd ever been. I just like right now want to stop the podcast, go get some blackout drugs and go to bed. <laughs> I <know>. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I just need to just take care of stuff. <laughs> and she'd been on these meds for most of her life. And I, I'm definitely not a specialist in sleep apnea. I am somebody who's very interested in it and I'm learning all I can and I'm implementing it in my practice because I'm just seeing firsthand its effect on everything. And, you know, sometimes I get teased by my family or my coworkers. Oh man, don't say you're tired in front of her. She's going to diagnose you with sleep apnea and yeah. put you on a machine. <laughs> But, but maybe I, you'll be healthier for it. <laughs> I can't help being excited about it because, yeah. you know, I've been a doctor for 20 years and we prescribe a lot of medications. And in these last couple of years that I have been testing a lot more since these affordable home sleep studies came out, I am just stopping medication left and right. And I'm hearing people tell me how their lives have been changed and improved. I have a patient that always felt a little bit off um, balance wise and she said it made her nervous to go anywhere walking down the hall at work she just she didn't want anyone to see her and think there was something wrong with her she didn't want to stumble you know and just by her CPAP machine she said I wake up and I bounce up no problem I walk down the hallways with confidence it has changed my whole life and she's wow. like I, I mean I've had so many stories like that that just to me, make all the hours, you know, and the late nights in my office, it makes it worth it because I feel like I'm helping people and changing lives for the better and Definitely. changing the world. It's such a great feeling. And just by making people sleep, which is crazy. But you know what? Let's, so, so let's easy. talk about that to your point of your family teasing you and saying, don't mm -hmm. tell her you don't sleep. But <laughs> let's think about those three pillars, sleep, nutrition, exercise. Yeah. How many times do you have to tell someone to exercise? Yeah, all the Every time, day, all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many times and what is the issue with food in right. our society? Right. So are we constantly trying to help people eat better? Mm -hmm. And when they do or mm -hmm. make those dietary changes, don't they feel better? Mm -hmm. We're trying constantly to get people to exercise for a minimum of 150 minutes a week a minimum right of yeah. 30 minutes a day five yeah. times a week and when they do don't they feel better Life changes Life right changing. so it's so it's yeah. it's 
fantastic and, and, and with exercise too it's so underrated because people associate exercise with weight loss oh right. my god it's not about weight loss it's about health. health it's about everything functioning properly your enzymes your hormones your bone health so your nice. sleep right yeah. and it's all connected mm-hmm. you eat well you exercise you sleep well you sleep well you feel better you want to eat better right it's so Absolutely. connected and you can get these so three pieces into play which again i think is simple but not easy yeah right yeah it's this very simple formula sleep well eat well most of the time right most of the time you can't do it all the time and move your body mm-hmm. and everything will start to change so when you think about it in terms of that as one of those pillars well then it's no different than the the common I don't know, advice, lecture that right, you have right. to give to everybody. Eat better and exercise more. If and you're then taking go to care sleep. of your health in a way that you're eating well, mm-hmm. you care about your diet and your fresh vegetables and all that, if you're putting that effort in, why wouldn't you put the same effort into your sleep? And sleep's so quality. much easier to do. <laughs> it's so nice. Okay, I told you it was an abrupt ending. I wasn't kidding, right? But good stuff. What a great show. I had no idea, no idea how much getting the right kind of sleep, the right duration of sleep, how much it can impact my health. And I gotta tell you that Dr. Green has been telling me for a while I needed to do a sleep study and I just kind of went, okay, okay. Because what, so if I snore now and then, like, okay, my husband can deal with it. But now, yes, I have a sleep study. I got, I went to my GP, I got a referral for a sleep study and I am actually super excited to do this sleep study because I do have some of the issues that she addressed, you know, the dry, scratchy throat and the sometimes waking up tired and, and the heartburn and the challenges with weight loss. So I am super excited to get this sleep study and see what the results are. So Make sure you tune in next Thursday where you are going to hear so much more information on getting a sleep study, where to go, what the cost is, what you can do, and what are resources that you can turn to if you don't have insurance or even if your copay or your deductible is really expensive or your doctor isn't familiar with sleep studies or providers of sleep studies. Dr. Green's going to give us some great information on a very affordable resource and what you can look for and expect out of both a home sleep study and an in-lab sleep study. And we're going to go into even more of her patient stories, which I absolutely love, 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 love hearing. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you're looking forward to hearing the rest of it next week. And I just want to say one more time, come on over to Facebook, jump into the Breast Cancer Recovery Group. Let's get this community going. Talk about what you hear on the podcast and reach out for the support you need with other like-minded survivors who get what you are going through. Now, I know you guys are waiting on Revivify. I'm getting more people on the wait list all the time, and it's coming. We've been doing filming. We're getting a lot of the work done. We've got, I'm super excited about it. I've got some bonus workshops, some guest coaches. This is going to be just a huge, huge program. It's so much bigger than what it's ever been before. And I'm really, really excited. So uh, it's the clock is ticking. It is going to be launching here in February and I am going to keep you posted on it. So keep listening, check in with next week's show and I'll let you know where we're at with it. And 
Meanwhile, if you haven't gone to my website and downloaded CARE, the four steps to healing after breast cancer, then go and do that. That's four foundational steps. Self-compassion, awareness, rehydrating your body and moving your body and an understanding and explanation of why these are important pillars for you to lay this simple basic foundation for restoring your health after breast cancer treatment with resources and steps and some guidance to do it. Super simple, it's a free resource. You can find it at lauralumber.com and I will look forward to seeing you in the group and to talking with you again next week. You've put your courage to the test Laid all your doubts to rest Your mind is clearer than before Your heart is full and wanting more Your future's at the door Give it all you got No hesitating You've been waiting This is your moment